Well, good morning again. My name is Steve Wright, and I am the director of outreach here at Lakeside Church, but I'm also the pastor over at the family room. And so can we say hello to the family room really quick? Hey, guys. They're letting me preach up here. It's awesome. Okay. So, um, so just to let you guys know a little bit about the family room, because I don't think everybody knows. First off, you guys are great people out there, and thank you so much for, for being over there today. You guys are awesome. But we have an awesome group of people who are out there serving and they're connecting and they are creating a community over there. And it's kind of like a little church within a church. Um, And I think a lot of people look at that and they say, no, this is just a place for um, families with small kids. They hear family room and obviously think that. And we do have a lot of those people over there. But we also have uh, just a wide variety of generations represented over there. And we are a multi-generational gathering that comes together and just to figure out what does it look like to worship and follow Jesus and become more and more like him. And uh, we are in the midst of doing some other things. We're trying to create a space where we drive families together uh, and family in any way that you guys kind of figure that out and define that so that we have real family, like birth families that are coming together and learning what does it look like to have conversation about spiritual matters together in our gathering. Um, We provide some space for that, but we also are connecting people with their spiritual family, the people that they they love and they connect with here um, at Lakeside, their Lakeside family, and giving them moments to express different things with each other. Um, it's, it's awesome. And we're also kind of talking about what does it look like to not necessarily be so multi-generational, but be intergenerational? How do we get some crossover between those generations? And if you would like to figure out what that looks like, why don't you come over and visit us? I got to deal with you. Um, since I'm over here once this year talking to you guys, uh, why don't you make it a point to go over there once uh, and visit us over at the family room at least once this year and figure out what we're doing over there um, so you can know how to engage with us over there. Is that a deal? All right. I look forward to seeing you guys. And we have food for you all the time. So uh, we'd love to have you over. Um, But here at Lakeside, this is an amazing place, right? And we've been on this great journey uh, for about the last month preparing for Christmas. We've been clearing a way, uh, clearing a path to Jesus and clearing a path to Christmas and for about that month. But for some of you guys, I know that you have been clearing that path to Christmas for much longer than that because I started seeing the first Christmas displays going up in the stores about Halloween. Um, so it's been a couple month process for you. And so you have spent all this time preparing for the coming of, uh, this, this Jesus, this God in the flesh. And we celebrated his birth and we did that on Friday and it was awesome. And you guys, uh, woke up on Saturday morning and I'm sure that each and every one of us here woke up on Saturday morning and you went down into your living room or your family room, you walked downstairs and you went to that place where uh, you opened your presents and you looked over and you saw a stack of gifts and toys in, over in the corner. Um, and if you had kids, you, start to, you heard your kids and they were playing and laughing um, and it was awesome and they weren't trying to take toys from each other, they were actually giving toys to each other. They were saying, here, try out my toy and, and they were saying, please and thank you and it was awesome. And then you guys all got together for your after Christmas breakfast and you guys had cinnamon rolls and uh, baking in the oven and, and fresh coffee was brewing and, and it was a great moment. And as you guys sat down for your breakfast, you reminisced over this last season of your life and you said, this was perfect. I, we did a great job preparing for this celebration. We gave the perfect gifts. We got the perfect gifts. Our family is connected in a way that is, well, perfect. And if that was you, I can just say this, you're lucky. 
because the rest of us didn't get to experience that. Because the rest of us, we woke up, and some of us, I'm sure, woke up on that Saturday morning after Christmas yesterday, and we walked downstairs, and we saw that pile of gifts. But instead of seeing laughter and joy, we heard our kids bickering over who was going to get to play with what toy uh, and who was going to take ownership of those toys. And I'm sure some of us, at least in a room this size, some of us maybe um, looked at those pile of toys and pile of gifts and you said, wow, Christmas is a gift that's going to keep on giving because I've overspent my budget and I have a little bit of debt. And so now I have to figure out how do I pay off these Christmas gifts and how long it's going to take to pay them off. And all those Black Friday deals that I got, um, I'm really going to lose in my interest payments on my credit card. So that might be you. And it might be you that you woke up on Saturday morning and you didn't hear anything because there was kind of some silence. And maybe this was the year that the kids were off with the ex. Or maybe this was the year that it was the first year that you were celebrating Christmas without that loved one. Or maybe it's, the, it's like this every Christmas, that you've never found that loved one to share life with you, to share the good and the bad and the happy and the sad moments in life. You just haven't found them yet. And so you woke up with some silence. Or maybe you woke up and you were looking at the chaos, the madness that's going on in your home, and, and there's little bits of crumpled up pieces of uh, wrapping paper. They're under the table, they're behind the sofa, and they're just broken little pieces of paper, and it reminds you of some of the broken relationships that you've left in your wake behind you. And your Christmas, where you wanted it to be this great moment where we got together and had conversation and we fixed all of those things, and we ended every conversation with a hug and an I love you, but instead, you ended those conversations with tears and hurt. Maybe that's how you woke up on Christmas, the day after Christmas. But it doesn't matter where you lie on that spectrum. The question is, what do we do now? What now? We just had this moment, we just had this experience, but where is Jesus in the rest of my year? Where is he in the rest of my life and my experience? And I think we end up like that. We end up with reality on the day after Christmas, and it hits us so hard because we have bought into something that's just not true. We bought into this idea that Christmas is a moment, but Christmas was never meant to be a moment. It was meant to be a movement. The Christmas in our heart is the start of a movement. The word Christmas means the celebration of the Christ, the chosen one, the salvation. It's something that we as followers of Jesus get to do every day. We get to be a part of the movement of Jesus. We get to be a part of this, and it's something we celebrate every day. It's something that we gather together on a weekly basis to talk about and to celebrate. But sometimes we've turned this into an experience So the question is, how do we make this more like a moment? How do we, a movement, how do we make Christmas something that is relevant to our day-to-day lives? And the first thing I want you guys to really realize is that as a movement, as a celebration of Jesus, as this kingdom of Jesus is moving forward, it has a leader, and that leader is Jesus. And the great part about movements is they all have leaders, and all of the followers of a movement want to be like their leaders. Do you guys agree with me on that? I can prove it to you. Uh, Did anybody get a sports jersey this year for Christmas? Oh, you got one. Fantastic. So those are, you're part of a movement. You're part of that team. You're a fan. Those teams, those leaders have those, they have leaders and you want to be like them. That's why we wear a jersey. We wear a jersey of our favorite players so we could be like them and dress like them and hopefully act like them. 
right? And so growing up, I grew up out here, and this may be a shock to some of you, uh, but I, uh, I was always this big and I always had this beard. And so um, they, they made me play football in high school, right? And so I played right down the street in Loomis at Del Oro. Any fans? No, there's one. They're the state champions in their division, right? So uh, we're not the only ones with a trophy, Folsom. <laughs> so that's where I grew up. And I grew up playing, and I grew up playing in the mid-'80s. So I'm dating myself for some of you guys. I know you're thinking, he's really young, but I'm old. Uh, actually, I was reminded of it. Some youth group kid uh, last night said, oh, you have a lot of gray in your beard. And I punched him. So, uh, but I grew up in the mid-80s, and I grew up in Northern California. And in Northern California, there are, there's a team that, that everybody at least is a fan of um, or they know a lot about, and that's the 49ers. So if you're a fan, uh, I, I, great for you guys. Uh, and on that team, I played defense. And uh, so I looked up to one of the players on the defense, and that player was um, Ronnie Lott. You guys know Ronnie Lott? Yeah. Yeah, Ronnie Lott's amazing. And uh, hey, Jimmy over in the family room. Um, he also played for the Raiders too, so you can like this story. So, so Ronnie Lott was probably one of the hardest workers in football at the time. One of the hardest hitters in football at the time. Not the biggest, but one of the hardest hitters. And he was dedicated to the sport. <clears throat> and I wanted to be just like him. So when I was playing football, I, I would go to practice and give everything I had to be like him. Um, and I, I, I played with, with injuries because Ronnie Lott played with injuries, right? Do you, do you guys know about his finger? There's a couple people that know. So who doesn't know about his finger? Oh, you're going to love this story, all right? So Ronnie Lott is playing. This is 1985. It's the end of the season. And he, he makes this hit, and he crushes the tip of his pinky. I mean, crushes it, destroys it, blows the bone up, and it's, it's dust in there. Uh, so the next game, he wraps it up, tapes it up, and, and plays and realizes, I cannot keep playing like this. It needs to get fixed. There is a major problem here. So he goes to the doctor, and the doctor says, look, you have some options. The options are we fix it, and it's going to be a long, complicated, delicate surgery, and it's going to be a long, complicated, de delicate recovery. And you may never be able to play again. Maybe you can, but maybe not. Your other option is we cut it off. What do you think he chose? He cut it off. And so as a kid, I saw that and I'm on my teams and I'm like, I want to be like Ronnie Lott. So when I broke a bone, I played. When I hurt myself, I played. To the point where I also went and played in college. Um, and I played at a school that no longer has a football team. And so this is where you guys go, oh, so sad. Uh, I played at University of the Pacific and we got to play a lot of the really big schools around here. Um, so uh, in, I was, we were playing Oregon State and I hurt my foot actually kind of tore all the ligaments across my foot. Uh, and that game was followed up by Fresno State, which is also a really good school, uh, which that's where Doug Roush went and played football over there. So talk to him about his glory days in, at Fresno. Um, but so I was, I was in there and realized I can't keep playing like this. What would Ronnie Lott do? <laughs> so I convinced my coach and I convinced the team doctor to inject my foot with Novocaine so I could keep playing. Um, did a little bit more damage to it. Uh, had some pain over the, the next coming year, the next couple years after school. But I wanted to be like my leader. He was the person I wanted to follow. I wanted to do everything that he did because he was awesome. 
And so as members of this movement of Christmas, as members of this movement that Jesus is the leader of, our hope and our goal for each and every one of you is that you become a follower of that leader and you become more and more like him and you do all of those things that he would do. That's why we come here every week is to learn how to become more like Jesus. And I'm just going to talk a little bit. I've got just a few more minutes to talk to you guys. And so it's just a brief little um, cursory pass over this stuff. But really, this is what we do every day that we come. And every day we're learning more about the scriptures. Every day we come and gather together as Lakeside Church. This is what we're learning. We're learning to be more and more like Jesus. And the first thing I want to tell you, and if you walked out of this room and you just knew this fact, right? If you just knew this one thing, that would be... that would be enough. That would change the way that you interact with the world. That would change the way that Christians are viewed in the world. And that would change uh, everything about it. You'd be more like Jesus if you just knew this, that Jesus valued people. People were important to Jesus. They were more important than anything. He spent time with them. He engaged with them. He created opportunities to, to get into their lives. Here at Lakeside Church, we try to emulate, we try to copy our leader in Jesus. And so we do that through this whole concept of oikos. You guys have heard about it, right? Oikos, we talk about it. It's the Greek word that means household. But here's the concept. The concept is that Jesus has placed you smack dab in the middle of a group of people and he wants you to value them and to love them and to interact with them. Oikos isn't a plan for us or some sort of strategy for massive church growth. It is an effort for us to live out the calling that Jesus has given us. It is to copy our leader, Jesus. He valued people and we value people. And so if you just knew that, if you just walked out living that, your life would be changed and the life of the people around you would be changed. But let me give you three little practical tips on how to make that happen. All right. The first one that if we could copy Jesus in this, this would help us to value people is Jesus took church to the people. What you see Jesus doing is he's walking into the communities. He's walking, he's going where place, he's going where people gather and he's interacting with them. He's having conversation with them. He's not saying, hey, come back to the synagogue where I'm at and and where I'm speaking and come and listen to what I have to say. He's going out to them. And he's meeting people and he's being invited into homes to dine with them and to interact and spend time with them. Who amongst us have ever invited someone to church and they say something like this? If I walk into your church, the roof will collapse. Has anybody heard that? Or if I walk into church, God is going to strike me down with lightning. We do that because we're trying to bring them into our church and start trying to take our church to them. They're not comfortable here. What Jesus knew is we need to find places where people feel comfortable and take the churches into those environments. And so what does that look like for us here practically? Maybe it looks like that you start to engage with your neighbor and you spend time with them in their home. Maybe you invite them, maybe you invite yourself into their home, right? Maybe it means that you go and you hang out at Pete's or Cooper's or Starbucks, wherever, because people here in Folsom love coffee. So just go hang out and have a latte and just get to know them and spend time with them. Maybe it means that you go and you spend time with them 
at their favorite pub. And I know some of you just got uncomfortable. But when you look at the life of Jesus, when you're copying, when you're emulating our leader, that's what he did. And people, he would go into homes of people that, that his countrymen would not go in and spend time with. And people would be behind him and they'd talk behind his back. They, not only, they made up lies about him and stories about him. They tried to run him out of town. They tried to kill him because of who he was engaging with because he was bringing church to the people. And so we are on this journey to reach out to those people that God has placed us in the midst of. And it means maybe going to some uncomfortable places because that's where they're comfortable. So take the church to the people. The second thing that Jesus did, and he did really well, is he spoke their language. He spoke the language of the people. And we have some of those, we have those stories now, and, and we talk about them a lot here. And one of the favorite little expressions that he had is he liked to use fishing terms, right? And I'll make you fishers of men. And, and so the interesting part about that is for us, that's a neat little metaphor. We say, oh, I get it. But the majority of Jesus' followers, his disciples, the disciples, the ones that he was investing in to carry on the movement, they were from a couple little fishing villages on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. One was Bethsaida and one was Capernaum. And the, the cool part about being in engaging in little fishing village, which I've uh, had the opportunity to be in a few uh, in uh, Latin America, is that fishing isn't just something that the fishermen do. It is the lifeblood of the community. Everybody knows about fishing. It's their life. It's their livelihood. And so when those disciples were hearing those terms, they weren't just saying, oh, I get it. They were saying, I get it. I understand this. This is what I eat drink and breathe on a day-to-day basis because Jesus was speaking their language. You know, Jesus could have just grabbed the Old Testament. that They had the Old Testament back then. He could have just grabbed it and read some passages out of it and hoped that they would understand what was going on. But Jesus would teach in this story form. He'd teach in these things called parables. The word parable is a really interesting word. It literally means to cast alongside. So we have this this man in Jesus that is casting these stories alongside of the truth so that his audience could understand it. He wants them to understand what's in this word. So he devises ways that will help his audience understand. He uses their language. And let's, let's think about this for a minute. We have some language within the church that is just weird. We use language like sin and sanctification and salvation and ecclesiology and theology, words that mean nothing outside of this building. People don't talk like that. And so our goal isn't just to repeat words. Our goal is to help people to have an encounter with this Emmanuel, this God with us, this God made flesh. And so it might mean that we use a parable, that we cast a story alongside of the truth in Scripture in a way that will help people understand it. And I know for some of us, that also makes us uncomfortable. Some of you think, I, I don't know enough of Scripture to be able to, to teach someone everything they need to know about being a follower of Jesus. I get that. None of us do. There's a pastor at a church, he's out in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, at North Point Church, his name is Andy Stanley, and he refers to it as this. He says, it's not my job to fill their cup up, my job is to empty my own. So your job is to take what truth that you know about Jesus and being a follower of Jesus, even though it may be limited, and pass that along to somebody else. You will never know enough 
There'll never be a moment where you get to that place where you say, ah, now is the time. I am fully formed. I can go and do this now. The time to start is now with what you know. Empty your cup out into someone else's cup. That's it. And if you walked out of this meeting today, if you walked out of this gathering and you engaged with someone and you just told them the truth that Jesus values people, if that's all you know about Jesus and being a follower of Jesus, that's enough. That will change their life and it'll change the life of everyone around them. But they won't know unless you tell them. And we do, we have another responsibility, right, is to learn more about this book so that we can, we can speak the language of our people and give them the truth. So we have a duty to be studying this and understanding this and growing in our understanding of who Jesus is and understanding of what I, I am as a follower of Jesus. And we at Lakeside Church, we have a way to do that. We have classes and groups and, and studies to help you do that. If you are just figuring out what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus, maybe you just came on Christmas and you just said, I'm, I'm into this, right? This is changing me and you want to know what you're really into, the Alpha Course is starting up. The Alpha Course covers basic tenets of our faith. What does it mean? It covers, uh, it talks about what are those definitions that we're, what are those definitions of the weird words that we use here? It helps you to understand that. It's a place to ask questions and to grow. And if you want to know more about what Lakeside believes, we have Begin, Belong, Become classes coming up. That's just the introduction to who we are. It's your venue to ask questions of the pastor and find out what we really believe here at Lakeside Church. And so we would encourage you to sign up for those. And we have small groups and discipleship training. We have a lot of things going on. And it's all designed to help you to understand this book better, the truth of this scripture, so that you can engage with the people that God has placed you in the midst of. And so if you do anything this year, what if you just learned more about who this God was so that you could pass that along to those people? Man, wouldn't that change your year? Or wouldn't it change theirs? And the last little thing that we can copy, right, is that Jesus leaned into pain. When people showed up in his path, he didn't run away from them. He didn't push them away. He said, I'm going to engage in this. I'm going to participate in what's going on in their life so I can help them to find hope and healing in a lost and broken world. He didn't look out at that hurting person and say, oh, that's just too much. I can't handle it. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to go and I'm going to step into it. And I can tell you, we believe this at Lakeside Church is that there is a lot of pain and brokenness in our world. There's a lot of pain and brokenness in our relationships. There's a lot of pain and brokenness in our families. And we need to lean into that, not run away from it. If we just did that, we would change the life of the people that we are connected with. But there's some, there's some warnings in that. And this is how we're going to end up this, this, this day. Uh, I don't want to keep you from the sausage and pancakes that are coming up. But I do want to talk about this. The more that you engage, the more you bring church to the people, the more you speak the language, the more you lean into their pain, the more you need to care for your own soul. 
there's a lot of things that happen. There's some clinical terms like transference where you take on the pain and, and the suffering of the people that you're connected with, and that will happen. As you lean into others' pain, you'll be reminded of your own pain, the damage that you've done in your own life, in your own relationships. And the truth is, in all of this, you cannot give what you don't have. And so if you don't have that strength, if you don't have that hope yourself, you can't pass it on to somebody else. People that care for people need to care for themselves. We need to be people that are caring for our own souls. We need to be people that are reaching out. And that's why we gather together. That's why we're all here. There are people at this church that are begging to pray for you. They want to know when you're struggling through this stuff. They want to be able to lift you up to the God of the universe, the bringer of hope. And so maybe you just write that down on the prayers, uh, in the prayer and comment section of the Connect card just so that we know about it. Or maybe you seek somebody out. Maybe there's someone in your small group that you could say, I've got this going on in my soul. I need a little help because I need to refresh my soul so I can lean into the pain of others. Maybe you need to reach out to one of the pastors and talk to us about, hey, I need to, I need to self-care a little bit. And I can tell you, one, this is one of the hardest things for me to do. <laughs> so that's why I reach out and have people praying for me. That's why I reach out to our fellow pastors here on staff and say, could you invest in my soul a little bit? That's why I see a counselor, to make sure that I have enough to care for the people that are around me. And speaking of counseling here at Lakeside Church, we have lay counselors that can help you through this. They're trained. They're not professionals, but they're good. And if they can't get you help, they can refer you to someone that can. Because there's a lot of great people that would love to walk through that pain in your life to bring you hope so that you can be hope to others. And if you think that that's just something that we need to do here as people here, as followers of the movement, let me tell you this, that your leader did the same thing. That he took moments out to care for his soul so that he could continue to do the work that God has called him, had called him to do. And I want to take a look at one of those passages really quick as we close out. So if you could turn with us to Matthew 26, we're going to look at verses 36 through 39. It'll be on the screen if you want to just read it there. And the page number uh, for our Lakeside Church Bibles is also in there. But um, this is the night that Jesus is arrested. This is the night before he dies. He knows the, what's coming. The end is imminent. He is under an incredible amount of stress and pain and hurt. And he knows he needs to care for his soul to continue on in the mission that God has sent him to do. So here's what, he's, here's what the scriptures say. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a, place called, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Another telling of this scriptures say it, that he was sweating blood because he was in so much pain. And he says, stay here and watch with me. Going on a little further, he fell to his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So here's a man that is broken. He knows what's coming. He knows the end is imminent. It's, it's right there. And so he says, I need to care for my soul 
so I can continue on in this journey. And the amazing part about this is he brought people along with him in that journey because it was that important, because he needed you to know you need to care for your soul to continue on in the mission. In another passage where it unpacks this, it says that he went a stone's, a stone's throw farther away from the disciples. I don't know how far a stone's throw is, but I can't throw a stone very far. I know it was close enough that they heard because they heard and, and they documented it. So we have a leader that on the last moment here, in the midst of trying to find some comfort for his soul, so we could go in and do a pretty rough thing, which is die on a cross. He brought his disciples along to teach them how to care for their own souls so they can continue on in the mission. We have an incredible responsibility to our world, to those around us. You're here because something has happened in your soul. And you are here because Jesus has changed you in some way. Don't you want to pass that on to somebody else? Don't you want to bring them the joy and the hope and the abundant life that God wants us to live? Don't you want to bring them that? And it all begins when we value people. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for the gift of Christmas, an opportunity to spend time celebrating our leader. God, I pray that Christmas doesn't just happen and fade away, but that in my life, in our life here at Lakeside Church, that it is something that we constantly celebrate. And God, above all, I pray that you would help us to be a people that values people. God, I pray that we become someone that looks at the world through your eyes, that when we see pain and suffering, we don't just turn away, that we lean into that. God, I pray that you give us a heart that breaks for those that are hurting and lost. And God, equip us so that we can go and be hope to the people around us, the people that you've given us. God, we thank you, we love you, we worship you. Help us to become like your son, Jesus. Amen.